This is DW News, live from Berlin. Deter and defend a dramatic escalation in the crisis over Ukraine. The Biden administration sends 3,000 troops to beef up the American presence in Eastern Europe. Earlier, Vladimir Putin accused the U.S. and its allies of trying to draw Russia into war in Ukraine. Also coming up, Israel backpedals on vaccine passes. Experts say they aren't helping to slow the Omicron variant. Cases still at record levels and many doctors and nurses are in quarantine. And count down to the Winter Olympics. Rouse over human rights abuses and the coronavirus rage on. Is the actual sport in danger of becoming a mere sideshow? I'm Leibach. Thank you so much for joining us. We begin with breaking developments. U.S. President Joe Biden has approved the deployment of 3,000 troops to Eastern Europe. Moments ago, the Pentagon's spokesperson said the soldiers are being sent from bases in Germany and the U.S. to Poland uh, and Romania. Uh, They're expected to arrive later this week. This announcement is in addition to the 8,500 U.S. troops put on alert last month. Well, the Pentagon says the personnel will not fight in Ukraine, but are being sent to reassure NATO allies amid rising tensions with Russia. The current situation demands that we reinforce the deterrent and defensive posture on NATO's eastern flank. President Biden has been clear that the United States will respond to the growing threat to Europe's security and stability. Our commitment to NATO, Article 5, and collective defense remains ironclad. As part of this commitment and to be prepared for a range of contingencies, the United States will soon move additional forces to Romania, Poland and Germany. Well, let's uh, go straight to Washington to find out more about these breaking developments. DW's correspondent Oliver Salat is on the story. Oliver, what more have you learned about these new deployments? Yeah, some 3,000 uh, soldiers, Leila, as you mentioned, coming from the U.S. and partially from Germany to Eastern Europe. What the uh, Pentagon spokesperson made clear in his press conference is that they're not sent to fight, neither to engage with Russian troops at any time, and they're also not deployed to enter Ukrainian soil. I think that's important to keep in mind when we talk about these troop deployments. So that's rather a symbolic move we're looking at right now, given that some 60,000 U.S. troops are already stationed in Europe, and also given that about 100,000 Russian troops are deployed and built up on the other side of the Ukrainian border in Western Russia and in Belarus. Do we know why the deployment is taking place now? Has something changed regarding the security situation? Well, the Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby said that it's uh, really a response to the Russian deployment and that we are seeing uh, a continuation of that troop buildup that's been taking place over the last uh, weeks there at the Russian-Ukrainian border. Uh, the Pentagon spokesperson said that Russia is continuing to add forces to Belarus and Western Russia. And that's a concern for the United States as well uh, as for the NATO allies. There have been deliberations between the U.S. and its partners. And the uh, Pentagon is not sure if uh, Putin has decided to invade. I mean, we've been hearing that also uh, time and time again from President Biden, uh, from 
the intelligence community, but that it has the cap uh, capability of doing so. And now the ultimate goal, of course, continues to be uh, to deter. And that's why uh, the Pentagon has decided to uh, send some additional troops there to Eastern Europe and also, if necessary, to defend neighboring NATO countries, however, not to engage uh, on Ukrainian soil. And Oliver, in conclusion, uh, do we know about the timeline and the time frame in terms of when these troops are expected uh, to arrive in Europe and for how long? Leila, the official take has always been that the U.S. offers a path to de-escalate. And so, uh, of course, it sounds like uh, the U.S. would be happy to end this as quick as possible. Um, Biden has been, President Biden has been reiterating his, you know, goal uh, to look for a diplomatic way forward. But that would imply that Putin and, and Russia de-escalates, that Putin changes course, and that Putin would also drop his maximum demand of um, banning Ukraine from entering NATO, something that NATO won't accept, that the Western allies won't accept. So it doesn't really look like um, there's a lot to hope for that diplomatic way forward, at least at this point. Um, Russia is continuing to build up its troops. The Russian rhetoric, if you look at it, at the United States Security Council on Tuesday, doesn't really look like de-escalation. So uh, I would say the tensions are probably likely to become more serious before they calm down. Uh, well, Oliver, you actually touched on uh, my follow-up question there. Uh, there's no sign of de-escalation. On the contrary, things are ramping up from the looks of it. That's exactly um, what we're seeing right now. If we talk about a troop built up and that in spite of all the diplomatic efforts that we've been looking at, and especially, again, the United Nations Security Council yesterday, um, the Russian ambassador, the allegations that were made there uh, comparing um, the Ukraine to Nazi uh, Germany in some parts, which were bizarre, really a bizarre and, and strong rhetoric that, were, that we were hearing there. At the same time, a continuation of troop buildup doesn't look anything like um, a de-escalation at this point. DW correspondent Oliver Sallet reporting on breaking uh, developments. The U.S. sending 3,000 uh, troops to Eastern Europe. Thank you for the update. Now, a roundup of some of the other stories making world news. At least 26 people have been killed in the Democratic Republic of Congo after a high-voltage power cable snapped and fell. The incident happened on the outskirts of the capital, Kinshasa. Authorities say the cable hit homes and a market, killing several people by electrocution. Afghanistan's public universities have reopened for the first time since the Taliban seized power last year. Both male and female students have reportedly returned, but classes are now gender segregated. The move comes a week after a Taliban delegation was pressed on improving women's rights during talks in Norway. Drugmakers BioNTech and Pfizer are seeking emergency authorization from U.S. authorities for a COVID-19 vaccine for children younger than five. If approved, the extra low doses would be the first for infants. And Israelis may soon be able to put away their vaccine passes for now. Israel was one of the first countries to introduce the pass, but from starting from sun, starting Sunday, rather, the pass will only be required in high-risk areas such as hospitals, where healthcare workers are battling record COVID-19 infections. 
Since the early morning, Yael Liron has been on duty on a COVID ward. An elderly patient needs oxygen and some comforting words. The COVID wards at this hospital in Tel Aviv are extremely busy. There are a lot of cases. We have new intakes every day. When one is released, another is submitted at night. Numbers are on the rise. We always experience a delay. Even when the general infection rate seems lower, we at the hospital are still dealing with the higher numbers from the two weeks previously. Though overall Omicron infection rates show signs of slowing down, the number of patients in hospital remains high. Israel was one of the first countries in the world to roll out a rapid vaccination program. Over 65% of the population have been vaccinated twice, but only 48% have had a third booster shot so far. In January, those in the most vulnerable categories were offered a fourth. During this wave, most of our patients have been elderly. It reminds us of the flu. The complications are comparable. People are dying now the way they would die from the flu. Also, fewer people are dying of Omicron. Most patients on this ward are vaccinated elderly people with underlying health conditions. Working on the ward is exhausting for everyone. Adding to this, hospitals, like other institutions, are struggling with staff shortages. Due to the highly contagious Omicron variant, high numbers of doctors and nurses are in quarantine. It's difficult. It's the fifth time we've been at full capacity here in Israel, but we're dealing with it. That's just how it is, as they say, and it's our job to look after patients. But it's definitely hard, and there's a lot of burnout among the staff. We have to work very hard, but we're happy to do what's necessary. But yes, it's exhausting, and it doesn't look like it's going to end soon. Although, I am personally cautiously optimistic. For now, everybody here must keep going, doing the best they can for the ongoing influx of patients and hoping that the peak of the current wave will soon subside. That report by Tanya Kramer. We can take you now to Tel Aviv and speak to Nadav Davidovich, a epidemiologist from the Ben-Gurion University of the Negev. Uh, Professor, welcome to DW News. Uh, I understand that you sit on the panel that advises the Israeli government, and you've been critical in the past of some of their uh, approaches. With cases still high in your country, is this the right decision? The Green Pass actually was introduced uh, in order to have uh, safe epidemiological spaces. Uh, it was not introduced in order to enforce vaccinations. Vaccinations are extremely important. They saved in Israel, according to our estimates, about 20,000 deaths. Um, but currently, with the Omicron and uh, with the fact that uh, people vaccinated uh, um, they are saved probably from uh, hospitalizations and uh, death, but much less so uh, in being infected. So we need to adapt uh, the Green Pass. Uh, we don't want to abolish it uh, altogether. We want to keep it uh, also for the future if needed. 
and uh, currently probably this is best to have it either as a voluntary measure or when uh, you have high-risk situations such as hospitals, elderly care homes, or uh, other uh, high-risk uh, activities, um, vaccinations are very, very important. Uh, we are now in a really unprecedented situation and we need to adapt uh, the current measures uh, to the epidemiology. Mm. Uh, we need to vaccinate, we need mm. to still use the mask, of course, and uh, I think mm. that uh, by the fact that we are adapting the Green Pass, it's very important also from uh, the trust of the public. Right. Now, Doctor, Israel has been uh, slowly rolling back curbs. Is there widespread support for that? Um, I think that uh, the current government, uh, you know, was uh, trying to balance uh, the measures in terms of uh, keeping as much as you can uh, the number of cases. But remembering the public health is also about uh, social support and economy. Uh, I think that uh, currently we could do much better in terms of uh, opening schools. I think it was an important um, factor, but um, there was lots of confusion and tension between the Ministry of Health and Ministry of Education. And there were also criticism about uh, the economic uh, support because so many people are in isolation. We're learning to live with the COVID. If you compare Israel uh, situation and other countries, you know, to what happened about a year ago, things are very different. We have the option of testing and many other things. We need to learn to live with the virus because COVID is going to stay with us. We're learning that the FDA is going to hear uh, Pfizer about having vaccines below the age of five. And I think this will be another important measure because uh, vaccination are going to enter, I think, uh, finally into the regular schedule of uh, children. And uh, we are going to deal uh, with it and strengthening the healthcare system as much mm. as needed. They suffered a lot during the last two years. Mm. Epidemiologist uh, Nadav Davidovich in Tel Aviv. Sir, thank you so much for taking the time to answer our questions. Thank you. Lots of help. Some other stories making headlines right now. The European Commission has given the green light for some nuclear energy and natural gas investments to be labeled as sustainable. Officials say private investment can contribute to climate goals. But critics warn the legislation jeopardizes the target of achieving carbon neutrality by 2050. Austria says it is considering a legal challenge to the ruling. In Australia, two large bushfires have prompted evacuations on the outskirts of Perth. An emergency warning has been issued with blistering temperatures and high winds threatening to intensify the blazes in the coming days. The fires have burned through some 100 hectares of land. U.S. actor and TV presenter Whoopi Goldberg has been suspended by the ABC network following remarks about Jews and the Holocaust. Ms. Goldberg said that the Holocaust was, quote, not about race, but about man's inhumanity to man. She later apologized after a backlash. And here in Germany, debate is raging over whether a former far-right politician can go back to his old job as a judge. Jens Meyer was a member of parliament for the far-right AFD party. He now wants to return to the courts after failing to win re-election. He used to be a member of parliament for the far-right AFD party. And recently, he was categorized as extremist by the domestic intelligence agency. 
Jens Maia is known for his far-right and unconstitutional statements, also while he was in parliament. Back in 2017, he was reprimanded for trivializing the Holocaust. This whole propaganda and re-education directed against us, which is supposed to persuade us that Auschwitz was factually the consequence of German history, I hereby declare this cult of guilt to be over, to be finally over. In September last year, Maya was not elected for a second term in Parliament. Now, he wants to go back to his previous job as a judge in the German state of Saxony. According to the law, he's allowed to do that. But many believe the justice minister can stop him from doing so. His behavior during his time as a member of parliament gives reason to at least initiate disciplinary proceedings and to examine whether one can also use his statements to accuse him of having violated his official duties. This could possibly even lead to his dismissal as a judge. The Justice Ministry in Saxony doesn't think it can pursue this route. But there's another possibility, a so-called judge impeachment. If judges violate the German constitution, they can be removed from office after a vote by a two-thirds majority in the state parliament and a decision by the federal constitutional court. But the hurdles are high, and the clock is ticking for those who want to stop Maya. Let's get you more on this. Uh, I will turn now to DW Chief Political Correspondent Melinda Crane, who is closely uh, following this story. Uh, Melinda, uh, put this in perspective to us. What are the chances that Mr. Meyer will be able to return to his job as court judge? Well, as we heard in the report, there are instruments that uh, might make it possible to stop him from doing so. But the threshold is quite high, both legally and politically. As, as we heard there, if it can be shown that he has violated the Constitution with some of his statements and opinions, uh, then that would be the legal basis. And in the report, you did hear him, for example, in a way, indirectly challenging the Holocaust, which certainly uh, does look to be in violation of the German Constitution's uh, core prohibition uh, against violating human dignity. But he caged his words there. So, so even that as a legal threshold is challenging. And then there's the political uh, threshold that at least two-thirds of the members of Saxony's state parliament would have to agree that this measure be implemented, and it then would have to go to Germany's highest constitutional court, where two-thirds of the judges would have to say, yes, this is grounds to prevent him from assuming his old post. So difficult indeed, precisely because Germany is a, a democracy where rule of law matters, and yet that's exactly what he is trying to subvert uh, with many of his statements and actions, rule of law. Uh, very thorny issue that you outline uh, there, Melinda. And I understand that there have been other reports of uh, right-wing extremists who work as lawyers and civil servants. Um, put this in perspective for us. How endemic is this? How pervasive is this issue? It's 
An absolutely grave uh, problem, uh, regardless of the numbers, uh, because the fact is uh, that whether serving in the administration or sitting in parliament, as Mr. Meyer did, these members of the AFD have a platform for expressing views that do call rule of law into question and, and work to subvert democracy. They use democratic institutions for that purpose. Last week, the AFD's somewhat more moderate co-leader Jörg Moyten announced that he was quitting his post and leaving the party because it is becoming increasingly radical. Its heart beats ever more to the right, he said, and it pounds ever louder. So the party has been in disarray for some time, and in the last election it didn't do well in the west of Germany, but it had resounding success in many parts of the east, which is where Mr. Meyer would be working if he's allowed to return to his post. The AFD's radicalization risks widening the divisions between eastern and western Germany and and stoking polarization in this country. DW Chief Political Correspondent, Correspondent rather, Melinda Crane. Melinda, thank you so much for laying it all out for us. That was Melinda speaking to me earlier. Now, even before Friday's official opening, the Beijing Winter Olympics are mired in controversy. Concerns about human rights abuses and the high number of coronavirus cases threaten to overshadow the Games. Almost 3,000 athletes will be competing for glory. But is the actual sport at risk of becoming a sideshow? Billions have been invested into making Beijing 2022 an extravagant festival of competition, but the build-up has been about so much more than sport. Politics, for instance. Some nations, including the US and the UK, have declared a diplomatic boycott over human rights issues and will send competitors, but no ministers or officials. Meanwhile, organisers have threatened athletes with punishment for any behaviour or expression that they deem in breach of Chinese law and will expect the IOC to rigorously enforce its own rules limiting protests. In the Olympic Charter, there are very strict rules. So for the medal ceremonies and during the competitions, political protests are not permitted. On other occasions, like at press conferences or during interviews or on personal platforms, the athletes are free to express their opinions. But the athletes must be responsible for what they say. Due to Covid, athletes and journalists will be kept in secure bubbles, while no spectator tickets will be sold to the public. Organisers say health and safety are paramount. Of course, COVID countermeasures are still on top of our agenda. We have been making effective measures and everything is under control. Without a safe games, there would be no games. So we will make sure that the health and safety of all participants is our top priority. A total of 32 new cases were reported by Olympic authorities on Wednesday alone. As expected, the pandemic is proving to be one of several headaches for the organisers of Beijing 2022. All right, uh, two days away from the Beijing Winter Olympics and so happy to have here with me Tom Gnoy from DW Sports. Tom, um, just how much disruption do we expect as a result of the ongoing pandemic? Uh, plenty, I think, is probably in a word about the answer to that question. Now, of course, there has already been a fair bit of disruption. As we heard there in the report, 32 cases registered just today in Beijing. Obviously, the athletes are inside 
the closed loop COVID bubble um, and they're subject to daily testing. The worst case scenario, of course, for any athlete is to test positive and then it's games over. They won't be allowed to compete, of course. Um, for reporters and for other participants, for officials, they're also in bubbles in Beijing at the moment, subject to a lot of testing as well. And also for spectators, the disruption has basically already happened. Now, it was at the end of last year when the decision was announced that Beijing organizers wouldn't be selling any, t uh, any tickets to international spectators. They then, earlier on this year, in January, announced that they wouldn't even sell a public, you know, a stage a public sale of tickets to domestic spectators. There will be a few who are specially invited along. It's slightly unclear exactly to whom those tickets will be going. Um, but yeah, obviously COVID casting a long shadow over the Games. And another uh, thing that's also casting a long shadow, of course, a diplomatic uh, boycotts by the likes of the United States and the United Kingdom. How has that uh, been received by Beijing? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, of course, it's not been taken uh, with, it's not been received with glee. Now, it obviously doesn't go as far as a, a full boycott of the games. That was discussed in some countries, but um, the UK and the US, also Australia, have elected to stage a diplomatic boycott. That just means that they won't be sending any government officials or any diplomatic representatives. Now, China accused the USA of grandstanding political posturing and of undermining the games when the diplomatic boycott was announced. Um, and it's one of several political issues that are thorns in China's side during these games. Another example, of course, is the participation of Taiwan. Now, Taiwan is a territory that's claimed as part of China by the People's Republic. They compete at the games under the banner of Chinese Taipei. And the delegation from Chinese Taipei had said that they wouldn't attend the opening or closing ceremonies. Now, they've now been told by the IOC that their participation is required. But, you know, for these kind of things to be making the headlines, it obviously distracts from the games. And, of course, it's um, inconvenient for China. It's not what they hope people would really be talking about. And in a few words, Tom, what can fans expect from Beijing 2022? Uh, in sporting terms, obviously plenty of highlights. Now, one of the things that a lot of people are looking forward to is the bobsled, uh, because we will see the return of a Jamaican bobsledding team to that competition after 24 years of absence from the Games. We've also heard great things about that track. It's brand new, supposed to be very interesting, very long, lots of interesting corners and things. So that's something to look out for. That starts Thursday next week. Um, curling, of course, an iconic sport at the Winter Games. That's actually begun today, the first preliminary rounds. So, yeah, in sporting terms, also plenty of highlights, obviously, on offer. We can't wait. Tom Gunoy, thank you so much. Thank you. You're watching DW News. Coming up next in DW News Asia, DW speaks with Myanmar's government in exile. One year after the military takeover, is the way forward negotiation or armed conflict? And we take a look at the growing number of attacks on Christian churches in India and the government's apparent inaction. All that and a whole lot more coming up in just a moment in DW News Asia with Burish Banerjee. I'm Leila Harak in Berlin. On behalf of all of us here, thanks for watching. Catch you later.
Rethinking Capitalism. I expropriated myself because I no longer believed that a company whose success depended on a thousand other people should belong to one single person. Meet the entrepreneurs who are putting people and the environment first. Well, I've already given up a lot of money, but I just realized that I've never been motivated by money. More sense, less greed. In 60 Minutes on DW. One of mankind's oldest ambitions could be within reach. What if it really is possible to reverse aging? Researchers and scientists all over the world are in a race against time. The DNA molecule, though, has 28 million different power glasses. They are peers and rivals, with one daring goal, to outsmart nature. For a longer, healthier, and fuller life. One of the most insightful discoveries in the history of mankind. Down the hatch. <laughs> More Life starts February 16th on DW.